Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It is Friday, the 10th of November, 2023, and I told you yesterday that tomorrow, which is now today, would be Veterans Day, and that's not true. Today is the Veterans Day holiday, you know, banks and government offices, but tomorrow is actually Veterans Day, so you haven't missed it, and you haven't missed your opportunity to prepare, and we're certainly going to talk about that um, later today in, um, in our time together. But right now, I have a question for you. When you think about the symbols in the Christian life, so so symbols, what comes to mind? Not like, you know, crashing symbols, but um, what symbolizes Christianity or the Christian faith to you? Um, in, the, in the same way that um, the star of David might symbolize Judaism, what symbolizes, what's the symbol or what are some of the symbols of Christianity? Now, my guess is that your brain already uh, offered up an answer, maybe the cross, um, maybe the crucifix. Press in a little further. What other symbols come to mind? Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll draw a picture for you. If you were going to secretly meet another Christian on the road in a place where being a Christian is, uh, is illegal or um, not appreciated, what would you draw in the sand with your toe? Aha, a fish. How about the symbol of the fish? The crown of thorns has served as a symbol of Christianity over the, over the course of the time. The Cairo, um, which is, it would look to you um, in a, from a, maybe from an English uh, or American alphabet, it would look like a big P with an X in the middle of it. Can you visualize that, that Cairo? How about the empty tomb? as a symbol of the Christian faith or the Christian life. In John Bunyan's classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress, the symbol of Christianity's promise and possibility, the very symbol of freedom from a life burdened by sin, um, the, the symbol is called the wicket gate. And if you've watched or heard Pilgrim's Progress and you've never read it, you might have thought they were saying the wicked gate. It's not. It's the wicket. Ends with a T. The wicket gate. Here's, um, here's the passage. Evangelist gave Christian a parchment roll upon which was written, fly from the wrath to come. And the man read it and looked upon evangelist very carefully and said, whither must I fly? So where, where, where should I go? Evangelist pointing with his finger over a very wide field. Do you see yonder wicket gate? The man straining said, no. Then said evangelist, do you see yonder shining light? The man said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, 
keep that light in your eye and go up directly in that direction. So you shall see the gate at which when you knock, you will be told what you should do next. My friend, are you burdened today? You feel the reality of living in a city of destruction? You want to flee the coming wrath, but you don't know where to go? You can barely discern the light on the horizon? Well, Jesus has good news for you today. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day are words of Jesus from John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and they will find good pasture. The thief, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Maybe right now you are like Christian in John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. And from where you are right now, from the context of the city of destruction, from the burden of sin, the gate itself is out of view. You can't see it. But I ask you, can you see the glimmers of the light? Go in that direction until you come upon the one who is the gate. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the true vine and the anchor of your soul. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the living one. He is the alpha and the omega. Jesus is the Lord. Evangelist gave Christian a parchment roll upon which was written, fly from the wrath to come. The man read it and looking upon evangelist very carefully said, whither must I fly? Evangelist pointing his finger over a very wide field. Do you see yonder wicked gate? The man said, no. Then evangelist said, do you see yonder shining light? And he said, I think I do. And that's when evangelist said, keep that light in your eye and go directly toward it. And then you shall see the gate upon which you will knock. And when you knock, you will be told what you should do next. May those who have ears to hear today hear. Uh, earlier this week, a friend shared um, some rising anxiety that she has about gathering with extended family in the coming weeks. I, I figure she's got Thanksgiving in mind here, um, in part because some of her people are, well, let's just put it this way. In her view, they are fear-filled preppers. And I guess I want to know, is it wisdom or fear with which we prepare? Are we preparing um, so that we can not only take care of ourselves but serve others, or is our prepping self-serving? We're going um, to talk next with our friend Than Bennett from The Equipped, and we're going to talk about preppers and prepping. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, now I kind of wonder if our friend Than Bennett is just messing with us. Totally possible. Uh, we are still seeking to connect with him. Um, but maybe in the spirit of um, 
you know, the end is near, which is what our conversation was going to be about. Uh, maybe Than is uh, thought he'd make an object lesson of being hard to find this morning. Uh, preppers and prepping. I want to talk with you about that for just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Um, are you a prepper? Let me just go ahead and say that. Uh, if so, love to hear from you this morning on the text line, 877-933-2484. And then there's some of you who are like, I'm a prepper, but I'm not telling anybody. Like, that's the whole point, or that's part of the point. And then if you're listening and you're saying to yourself, I don't even know what she's talking about. What, what does it mean to be a prepper? Well, um, you are familiar with the declaration, the end of all things is near. Time is short. Um, the, the, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And you say to yourself, well, yes, but we have been hearing that declaration since the days of John the Baptist, uh, in, in the days of Jesus, 2000 years ago, the end is near, the end is near. And you're like, you know, 2000 years, that's a long time. Probably got 2000 years, you know, stretched between here and whenever it is that the end is coming. In fact, maybe you're relying upon those, um, in the scientific community who are gauging the quote end of time, you know, on, on some sort of measure of when the sun is going to burn out. Well, let me just say that the Bible does make really clear that, um, there, there is an end like it, it, it history progresses through this redemptive arc, um, this cosmological reality of the gospel, uh, it progresses to an end Now, that end is a new beginning for sure. I'd invite you to read Revelation 19 to to 21 today. Um, The the end is a new beginning, but the end is also an end, an end of uh, the world as we know it. Um, And so when we say the end of all things is near, what do we mean? Um, Let's think about what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7. The context here is uh, trying to explain why Jesus went to the cross, Um, and he is talking about the suffering in Jesus's body in order that you and I uh, could be done with sin, that sin would die. And then um, the, the declaration that in the rising of Christ, we rise as well. Um, So, so let's talk about that. The bottom line, the bottom line. You and I are meant to live differently in the context of the days in which we live, no matter how long those days are. That's, that's the bottom line. You and I are meant to live differently um, in, in the world, no matter how much time we have in the world to live. We are meant to live differently in anticipation and expectation that the end of all things is near. So what does wisdom in the midst of that look like? Wisdom, not fear. So my friend, uh, who I referred to a, a moment ago, you know, her view of, of people who are quote unquote prepping, setting aside um, some in order that there might be a measure uh, of resources when things become difficult for Christians or difficult for everyone, right? So if you've read... Uh, if you've read the Bible, which of course I want you to be reading, where in the word are you today? Uh, if you've read the Bible, then you know things are not getting progressively better. Yes, ultimately things are going to get ultimately better. That is the promise of redemptive history. 
But between now and then, things do not get progressively better. The progressive view of history is not biblical. The redemptive view of history is biblical, but not the progressive view. Things don't get progressively better. Things get actually progressively worse until they get dramatically, redemptively better when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead, to fully institute the kingdom of heaven upon the earth, a new heaven and a new earth. Those are the promises of God in terms of his redemptive plan for history. And so how are you preparing to live in the meantime? M-E-A-N, the meantime, the time in between, but the time that's also going to be mean, like mean, not like mean in between, but mean, mean. So um, how are we going to live as the peculiar people of God, alert and sober-minded, praying, uh, loving each other deeply um, with the sin covering of Christ? How are we going to live differently? First Peter 4, 7 and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded in order that you might pray and above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So I'm sharing with you from Fan Bennett's newsletter, The Equipped, um, goes along with the show he hosts here on the Faith Radio Network called The Equipped. Invite you to check that out. Um, And he says this, uh, we are intended to be different than all that we see around us, than all that uh, the people who, whom we live among. We have to be rooted in the fact that we are set apart, that we are different, specifically because as the end draws near, those around us are going to need something to orient and anchor them. So there you go. That, that is why we prepare. We don't prepare as an act of self-service or self-preservation. Um, we prepare so in order that we, we could be ready witnesses as people around us wake up to the reality um, of, of sin and, and their need for salvation and their desire for light in the midst of darkness and a place upon which uh, they can set their feet, a solid rock in the midst of a world that is falling apart, a point of orientation that doesn't move and is unchanging in the midst of a world that is absolutely swirling in chaos. That's why we prepare. That's why we set some aside now in order that there will be some in the days in which there is nothing. And that kind of love um, is going to be extended by people who have prepared in advance, not out of fear, but out of wisdom. Those who have prepared in advance, not in order that we might protect ourselves and our own, but in order that we might become a shelter from the stormy blast that we might be a refuge in the midst of a world falling apart. And so let me encourage you today, as you uh, approach conversations with and interactions with those who are preparing in fear, maybe you suggest to them that Christians don't prepare in fear, we prepare in wisdom. We don't prepare in fear. We prepare in wisdom recognizing that the days are short and the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, praying, and above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right, the text line is open, 877-933-2484. And uh, we're going to talk amongst ourselves this morning here for a moment. Uh, Kelly has texted in. Kelly is a prepper. And Kelly is the kind of prepper that I am celebrating today. Uh, Kelly is uh, freeze-drying right now. Uh, I love that. Um, Kelly sent pictures in. So so Kelly clearly believes in... Um, a pre-tribulation evacuation of believers. And so if you want to think about um, the Left Behind series and uh, that image of what happens in the moment after every Christian around the world is evacuated in a moment, right? And so um, uh, Kelly believes in a pre-tribulation rapture. How do I know that? Well, because... Kelly says, uh, I'm freeze drying right now for those left behind. When I'm no longer here, they will have a house full of Bible studies and I've got books on my coffee table uh, and I'm prayerfully um, serving those who will be left behind. That is, that is a witness to the gospel, my friend. So then Kelly sent pictures. So on the coffee table, there's a copy of Where Are the Missing People? The Sudden Disappearance of Millions and What Happens Next. I mean, I, what a great idea, right? Like that is actually a rapture plan right there. This is a Christian with a rapture plan. There's a whole stack of David Jeremiah's The Great Disappearance. Uh, and um, and then, um, again, pictures of uh, a bookshelf loaded with uh, all kinds of Bible study materials. That That is some... That is some wise, wise, wise prepping right there. Uh, and then pictures of the uh, the freeze-dried foods being prepared. Looks like we're going to have some uh, red apples. I don't know what else we got. Uh, chopped tomatoes, it looks like. Trying to read the bags that uh, Kelly sent me a picture of. That's just fantastic. How are you preparing yourself for... Um, how are you preparing yourself right, for the second coming of Christ. We're going to talk a lot in the coming weeks about Advent, and that conversation is going to, for the most part, center on the first Advent, the, the coming of Christ, right, as, as Christ, as Messiah, the second member co-eternal with the Father, uh, condescending to human flesh, being conceived in the womb of Mary, born uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, and fleeing with his family as refugees, uh, fleeing the hostility of the Roman Empire, fleeing to Egypt, living there until there is a change in, uh, a, a change in office, a change in political power, and then returning to, to live in the town of Nazareth. Like, that's the advent of Jesus, right? The coming of Jesus in flesh, Emmanuel, uh, the incarnation, the enfleshing of Christ. We talk about the first advent. We talk about the coming of Jesus. Do we talk much about the second coming? He, he is coming again. We say it in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Do we believe that? Are we anticipating that? Are we preparing for that? 
How are you preparing today for the return of Christ? I, that That is a totally legit question. I mean, yes, we could talk about wars and rumors of wars. We could talk about for, former uh, president of the United States having to take the stand in his own defense. We could talk about presidential debates in an upcoming round of political discourse. Or we could talk about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We could talk about being citizens in the kingdom of heaven and preparing for the return of our king. I mean, we as Christians have a different view of the quote-unquote political cycle. We're looking at a political cycle over the scope of all of human history, not just a political cycle that's two years or four years or eight years long. So consider that today. How are you anticipating and preparing for the return of the king? And how will he find you? Jesus, uh, Jesus actually shares several parables on this topic of being prepared and how he's going to find us when he returns. Will he find you busy? Are you going to be busy? And what are you going to be busy with? Are you going to be busy with the father's business? So um, if you've got people out there that are, that are always like, you know, this is none of your business. This is none of your business. And you can say, well, okay, you, you are my business because you are the father's business and I'm in the father's business. So I'm in your business because God wants to be in your business. God wants to be in the business of your life. There's no, there's no person about whom God does not care in terms of where they're going to spend eternity. And so how could we gain that? gain that view of things today and how could we project that view to others i mean peter just came right out and said it like the end of all things is near we got to be praying we got to be preparing we got to be anticipating the return of christ and no we're not standing there you know with our gaze fixed upon the horizon waiting for jesus to return in the clouds in the way that he went the angels told the first disciples you know hey get on with the business uh, of the lord he sent you with his great commission to be his co-missionaries. Don't be standing here uh, waiting around looking at the sky. Yes, one day he's going to return. But get on with the business of the kingdom in the midst of the days in which you live. So, in the spirit of the Lord's Prayer, what does it look like for thy kingdom to come and thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven today? What does it look like today? How could you be an agent of that grace today are you fully equipped for every good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do and if not then how today could you get equipped how could you become prepared all right so I love uh, your responses um, this morning uh, and um, I love I love where where you're living and the people for whom you're praying uh, oh, uh, Kelly says, I sure would like to hear the Friday farm report. Um, and yes, Kelly, I, uh, Sioux Falls uh, definitely on my list of communities to visit. So thank you so very much, um, uh, for that invitation. Hey, if you want to invite me, uh, which you're really inviting faith radio, you can go to myfaithradio.com. We, uh, we're hatching a plan. It's not fully formed. So I, I can't tell you the details because they're not worked out yet. But we are hatching a plan for Faith Radio events in communities across the country. And if you would like to nominate your community for a Faith Radio event where yours truly, me, Carmen LaBerge, would like show up in person, 
uh, we, you know, we'd like some ideas. So if you've got some ideas about that and you think that would be a fun thing to do in your own community to have a faith radio event in your community, go to myfaithradio.com and uh, give us the details. Tell us, uh, tell us what you're thinking, what kind of plan we might hatch together for a faith radio event in your community featuring, you know, yours truly. We could do, uh, we could do an event where, well, we do what we do here. We bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day and we apply the mind of Christ to everything going on in, uh, in the world around us. Be a good time, right? Be a good time. Love to put some faces with some names and help you build your, uh, your Christian community right where you are and reach others for Jesus. So, so if you're in Sioux Falls and you want to invite me along with Kelly, you know, there you go. If everybody gets together, if you could gang up on the process, that might be fun too. Okay. Uh, have you heard of Goldilocks? Goldilocks and the three bears, right? So Goldilocks enters a house. It's a house of bears, which by the way, bears don't live in houses. Bears live in dens and you should not go into them. But anyway, Goldilocks did. And she tried out uh, the the porridge and you know one was too hot and one was too cold and one was just right. And then she tried out the beds and one was too hard and one was too soft and one was just right. And so the Goldilocks principle is actually applied to lots of things in life. Well, the Goldilocks principle is now being applied to social media use. There is definitely uh, too much that you could do. And yes, there is too little that you could do. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Could you have too little social media? I don't actually know if that's possible. Probably for emerging generations, they think there's no way to live without it. So uh, it would be hard to live without it. I don't deny that. Um, I've got social media accounts. Some of them I attend to more frequently than others. You already know that if you follow me there. Um, so what's the Goldilocks principle and how might you apply it in social media too much social media definitely harms us. So could you apply the Goldilocks principle? That might be a good conversation to have with your kids today. To talk with us about some social media trends, Chris Martin's going to join us. He's the creative director for Moody Publishers. He's a social media consultant. He's the author of two books about social media, The Wolf in Their Pockets and Terms of Service. And he's going to join us next. You know, on packages of cigarettes, there's that Surgeon General's Warning well, there's a whole Surgeon General's warning on social media and America's youth crisis. So we're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now is our friend Chris Martin. He is an expert in the area of social media and all things in the social internet. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Surgeon General's warning um, related to social media and America's youth crisis. This is not brand new news, but um, a little bit like those labels on cigarette packages. Um, I think we should revisit this every once in a while. Yeah, the Surgeon General is continuing to warn about... Um, social media negatively impacting the mental health of children. And by children, we don't mean necessarily just like, you know, seven or 10 year olds, but anyone really under the age of 18. Um, and he's, he's going around, I believe, um, going around to college campuses right now, talking to college students, professors, um, others about how they're experiencing this and what their experience with social media is and, and if it's affecting their mental health or the mental health of friends that they know. And um, he recently sat down with, for a podcast interview with Axios is one big thing. And I listened to it this morning. And it's a really good interview and conversation about 
social media's effects on mental health. He he himself, the Surgeon General, has two children of uh, five and seven, and so he's already thinking about these things for himself. And he fields a really good question about when is the right time for children to have social media, which is the probably the most common question I get when I'm speaking to parents. And I think he handles that question really well. And what's what's sad and at the same time helpful about this issue is that it's relatively nonpartisan. Kind of everybody recognizes that we have a major issue regarding social media and mental health among young people. Um, parents largely feel un- and are unequipped to fight this battle on their own because you have a common American parent who may or may not be very tech savvy trying to work against some of the smartest um, social psychologists in the world and computer programmers in the world who are employed by these companies that are trying to get like kids and students to use these platforms. And so, yeah, a parent is going to feel relatively unequipped and, and appropriately so to try to keep their kids off social media so I think this is a really important place for the government to be able to step in and help. And the Surgeon General makes that case really well um, in a really well-spoken way. And I think this is where we have, you know, we have bills being put forth by Senators Blackburn and Blumenthal and, and some other bills that have been put forth over the last years that last few years that have sadly kind of floundered as we, you know, struggle to do much in the passing of laws. Um, but I think as, as the Surgeon General also notes, we, we might have some hope in the courts as states begin to sue these companies and and other more state level court level action is taken. Um, and we might be able to actually start seeing some regulations put in place. I know, you know, a lot of folks are against government intervention and, and things like that, but I think um, in this space, I've never seen a place for the government to be more involved because the companies have clearly shown they're not to be trusted to govern themselves and to regulate themselves and to protect children on their own. It's just too lucrative to not protect children. Um, and so I think parents need to get help from somewhere. And I think the government taking some action against these companies is probably the best thing to do. And the Surgeon General just makes that case really well. He also talks about how, you know, how quickly childhood passes and this note that parents are not equipped and that when we talk about government, the government making a regulation related to something, we actually expect the government to make reg- regulations related to, let's say, child safety of all kinds. What's in baby food yeah. and what's um, what's in baby formula or what's in or, you know, or toys or I don't know, the little sheets that you put in a crib, like, right, you you are counting on the government to have some standards related to those things. And yet, um, social media has no standards whatsoever. There are no guardrails. And we as Americans have then given our kids access to all of it with no with no guardrails whatsoever. And so I appreciate what he's talking about in in trying to equip parents who are making the decisions now because their kids are little, um, you know, in terms of like when to let them have social media and he and his family aren't going to do it until after middle school. But that doesn't mean that his kids aren't already asking questions because their kids as early as preschool are talking about posting pictures on social media platforms, which is crazy. Um, so preparing parents is a part of this. This um, this college tour, so to speak, the we are made to connect tour that the Surgeon General is engaged in across, um, on 
um, on college campuses across the country. I want to make people aware of that. And I want to encourage you, if you've got college students in your life, college ministries that you're connected to, encourage people to, to avail themselves of of these conversations to go and participate on their college campus. This is a good thing for Christians to be engaged in. Um, we are actually made to be connected and made to connect. First of all, we're made fearfully and wonderfully made. Like there's a worldview opportunity here and we're made for connection. God designed us to be in relationship first with him uh, and then with each other. And so in terms of having conversations about connection and and bridging the loneliness gap that exists out there, this is this is good, fertile um, uh, terrain for Christians to be engaging in the culture today. Um, I want to talk with you, Chris, as well about um, tech surveillance. This is a, a, a bit of a different conversation, and yet also one that I listened to a podcast, Christianity Today podcast with Russell Moore, and he is interviewing Nuri Turkle. And I, I have been in an environment where Nuri was speaking before. He, is, um, a, he was born uh, in what we would consider a concentration camp in China, um, and he is speaking now on behalf of the Uyghur people. Tech surveillance is a big deal, and we've got all kinds of communities across the United States with a willingness to allow um, this this Chinese versions of tech surveillance into into our local communities and even into our homes via the cameras on our phones and computers. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so I didn't have an opportunity to listen to this podcast. I hope to later today. But um, but yeah, tech surveillance and and social media um, is a massive concern, and I think a lot of people get a sort of nineteen eighty four idea when we talk about tech surveillance and, and social media and privacy. And I care a lot about this. And actually, this is it's funny, like this is the thing that I've had the hardest time getting people to care about over the last five or seven years as I've written and talked a lot about social media, because a lot of people say, well, I mean, what's it really matter? Like if, if, such, and so, if such and so company or whatever has my data, or why wouldn't I allow this privacy setting to be turned on or off or, or whatever? And and I just, you know, it's like, I don't, the common refrain is, well, I don't have anything to hide. And I think I've said with you on this platform before, um, well, yeah, like you don't have anything to hide, but like you still close the door when you go to the bathroom, like privacy matters. Even e- Secrecy is not what we're going for here, but privacy matters. Like it's, we're, we're entitled to a, a sort of right of privacy. And I think when we're using social media, we should recognize that, um, we inherently, just by signing up for a platform, agree to give up some measure of privacy. At the same time, we do have some ability to um, maintain a level of privacy by turning off certain settings and allow only allowing certain kinds of data to be transferred and that kind of thing. And I think when we think about tech surveillance, we shouldn't so much have a 1984, the government's going to invade our homes because they saw us scrolling a particular app or something like that. Um, that's, that's not as much of a threat as we maybe think, um, at least today, uh, for, for us in, in our maybe American homes. More likely is we have a sort of brave new world situation on our hands where we, instead of the government oppressing us against our will, uh, we are sort of oppressing ourselves by just engaging with what we love. Like we're we're mm. being we're being destroyed more the way that Neil Postman puts it is you, or, or perhaps it was even all Jews Huxley in, in brave new world. You don't have to burn books when nobody's reading them. 
And I think mm. when you have this idea that, oh, the government's going to get me or surveil me or whatever, it's like, well, what if you, instead of them having to like hoist that on you, you just kind of willingly give up all that information about yourself and all that data. Um, and, and you, because you like having that particular feature or that particular app on your phone because it makes you feel good. And so I think a lot of us, frankly, just need to take more seriously um, our privacy and the way that our tech, whether it's social media or the phones themselves, can be used to surveil us very easily um, because it's not so much an existential problem for us right now in America, but there's nothing to say it couldn't become that at some point in the future. And I think to just start sort of start caring about that now um, would be wise because it's important, I think, just for human dignity for us to have some level of privacy when it comes to our lives and what we share with others and what we don't. That's so good. Um, you don't, uh, you don't have to ban books or burn books when no one is reading them. That reminds me of, uh, of a conversation that I heard recently on this, I mean, on a similar topic and it was about AI and our, just the way that we are jumping in, in ways that we haven't even thought about, um, in terms of using it and ultimately relying upon it. Um, and their conversation included uh, this this same quote about you don't have to burn books when no one is reading them, but it was about how cheap information becomes when it's moving so fast and that we imagine that that information is wisdom and that wisdom is slow and the cultivation of wisdom is slow and it takes time. And, you know, will we end up with a generation that doesn't have any any people that are wise because we've adapted ourselves to just how fast we can access information, never actually learning anything along the way? Um, and I just I think that's there's truth there. Um, it takes a long time to memorize scripture to actually let to soak in it long enough that it soaks into you. Um, but because I have the Bible available to me and I can type one word in and search it, um, you know, my access to fast information, which is cheap, um, leaves me depleted in terms of wisdom because wisdom takes a long time to cultivate. Yeah, I think I think there's a sense in which, you know, you're hitting on something good here where we it becomes so easy to reference that we uh, we forget the importance of learning. Like, why would I learn that when I could just find it? And I think you know, there are some things in life where that's helpful. Uh, you know, I, I think there are some things in life where, where it's nice. It's, it's helpful to not have to memorize this or memorize that or, or whatever. But I think when that becomes such a crutch, um, we really do, as you've kind of described, like we, we cripple ourselves and our ability to um, think wisely, use discernment having things like it is more valuable to have certain things memorized and to, and to like have knowledge and, and wisdom about certain things rather than just be able to reference the right answer. And I think our reliance on, yeah, whether it's new technology like AI or, or anything else um, can really kind of move that faster. You know, I, I fear with AI that we just haven't learned our lesson with the internet. And I, mm -hmm. I, f I fear that we're just not going to take careful steps. And, um, and I wonder whether or not we really have learned anything about how quickly we've moved. And, and I hope we do as we move forward and these things don't spiral out of control to where we, you know, we're having similar conversations like we are like with mental health and social media. Well, we've just moved so fast. We never really considered how these things are affecting young people. I hope we're not having similar conversations about AI in a decade, but it's, it's feeling more and more like 
we're getting out over our skis and are just moving faster than we really know how to do anything about. All right. So we're going to continue our conversation about AI here in just a moment. Um, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, says it's going to begin labeling some content that uses AI-generated imagery. Why? Because there's a uh, political cycle underway and people want to manipulate uh, manipulate you and what you see and what you think. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Chris Martin. Um, All right, Chris, uh, help us understand what Meta is doing and how it's going to begin labeling political ads that use AI-generated imagery. What what does that mean? Yeah, so earlier this week, Facebook, uh, the Associated Press reports that Facebook and Instagram will require political ads running on their platforms to disclose if they were created using artificial intelligence. Under the new policy, Meta labels... Uh, by Meta, the the labels will acknowledge the use of AI, uh, and they will appear on users' screens when they click on ads. The rule will take effect sometime in the new year and will be applied worldwide. A specific date has not been set, and Microsoft has done some election initiatives as well. The Associated Press. I think notes. it should be. So, I think it should be applied to everything. I think if something is AI yeah. generated. I don't I, I want to know it. I want to know yeah. I want to know that a video is fake. I want to know that a picture is fake. Like I want to yeah, know that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the and I think I think Meta would love to do that. The problem is um they would have a hard time doing that for you and I because they're not going to be able to identify if something is created by AI or not. Mm. Uh whereas if it's an ad, they have a little bit more accountability that they can kind of hoist on their advertisers. Um, than if then then they can on like a common user, which just gets into how you create ads on Facebook and and things like that. Um, and so I think, you know, I think this is good. I think that more and more we're seeing the power of like deep fake video and especially audio and things like that. I mean, if you've ever, I've come across so many instances of people who have explicitly said, "Hey, this is fake," but listen to it or watch it and see just how real it is. And I uh, have been, frankly, a little terrified by, by what I've seen and heard. And I think it's, fr- frankly, I think the audio bit, a lot of people are all caught up in like deep fake video, which is like kind of impressive, but also kind of cheesy and doesn't really work very well in, in a lot of ways, if you know what you're looking at. Um, but I think deep fake audio, where like, you know, we could be looking at six months from now, eight months from now, there's leaked audio of presidential candidate X who said this terrible thing on the campaign trail behind the scenes at a rally in Florida. And you won't, you can't believe what they said or something. And it leaks out on Twitter. And like, will we know whether that's real? (laughs) Like, unless someone actually heard them say it, how will we know? Um, 
I think that's why audio, frankly, like deep faked audio is a little bit scarier to me than video. Video is just, there are more data points to tell if it's faked and it's a little bit easier for some super techie people to like break down why a video may be fake or real. Audio can just be a whole lot harder because there's fewer data data points. You're not looking at someone's face. Uh, and I think that that makes it easier to fake some audio today. And so I think this is something, you know, I'm glad Facebook and Instagram are doing this and I'm, I'm glad we're going to see some, you know, it's nice to see meta being proactive about an election for once, you know, it's, it's really nice to see that. But um, I think, you know, we should, we should just be on guard for this kind of thing that won't be coming through ads, um, but through our Twitter feeds or our, or other forms of media that we consume TikTok or, or YouTube or otherwise, um, because we don't know that these sort of regulations or safeguards are going to be everywhere. And, much like with the sort of Israel conflict, we're we're going to be prone to believe whatever we want to believe. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to be prone to not care if something's fake, if it's funny, you know, or whatever else. And so um, I just think we need to be on guard about this kind of thing and, and recognize how our biases are going to predispose us to being tricked uh, in this upcoming year. Mm. Yeah. And people are trying to trick us. Uh, I think that we need to be mindful of that. It's not like uh, it's not like one day in October. It's every day in terms of the social Internet. Um, All right. uh, How much would you be willing to pay for Facebook and or Instagram to be ad free? That's going to be a conversation that or a a conversation that people are going to be faced with in the in the coming days and weeks and months as well. Um, Chris, thank you so much. Um, There's obviously so much more we could talk about. But, um, you know, there's there's not enough time in the day. So thank you, brother. We really appreciate it. Of course. Glad to be here. Hey, am I talking am I talking with you again before Thanksgiving? Like I can't remember. Uh, no, if, no, if I think not, we would be okay. talking on Black Friday. Yeah, I think so too. So, so I need this. I need to know a uh, favorite, uh, Thanksgiving side dish. Uh, mac and cheese, if that counts. Uh, you're number one in the country. Did you know that? Like, that's like the new number one. Mashed For a good and reason. Gravy. Mashed potatoes and gravy, stuffing or dressing. But yeah, mac and cheese. There you go. All right. Well, we might have to have some sort of like mac and cheese uh, tasting party or cook off or something over time because mac and cheese seems to be rising in the American consciousness. Sounds amazing. All right. Sounds amazing. All right. Thanks, brother. See ya. Yeah, see ya. Um, all right. I am so thankful for those of you on the text line this morning. Doug has texted in a picture of the most like ratted up. Uh, cover I have like seen in a long time and it is um, it's Robert Morgan's book the hundred most important Bible verses that a leader must know Um, but there's the hundred most important Bible verses I mean I just Robert Morgan stuff is so great and so I love that Doug I love that it's spiral bound I love that it's so ratty and I love that um, that you use it for reading every single day Do you have something similar to that? Do you have something that you're relying on to help you memorize the word of God? Um, Do you have tools and techniques? What are you relying upon in terms of scripture memorization? I would really like to know. This feels like something that would be a good emphasis for us as we consider what it looks like to grow in grace, to grow in our knowledge of God, to grow in our capacity as people of wisdom in the midst of a world flush with information, uh, where information is cheap and fast, wisdom is uh, is expensive 
because it is so rare. And so what does it look like to become uh, people of wisdom, to cultivate wisdom in the days in which we live? Uh, What are the resources you are using to cultivate wisdom in the world today? You can send me a text, shoot me a picture of the cover of a book that you use or a method that you use, 877-933-2484. we got another hour together. Up next, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.